welcome to episode 10 of Menu Stories. I'm your host, Rebecca Goberstein, and today's episode is a great fit because this summer marks the 10th anniversary of the opening of Pizzeria Delfina, which has expanded to several locations, becoming one of the Bay Area's most popular pizzerias. I, I was hearing about this place that was making spaghetti and, and chicken and frying sardines and stuff, and I was like, wow, it sounds like I should go eat there. And I like... <laughs> Went to Delfina, spent like my last 50 bucks on dinner. In 2005, husband and wife proprietor team chef Craig Stoll and Annie Stoll decided to expand their already popular Mission Dolores Italian restaurant, Delfina, with an annexed pizzeria. A relatively new member on their team asked if he could head up the pizzeria, and they decided to give Anthony Strong a shot. Today, Anthony is executive chef of Delfina Restaurant Group, which includes the original Delfina, all four Pizzeria Delfina locations, and the new Roman-style restaurant, Locanda. So, Chef Anthony is also celebrating 10 years. Let's have a listen. Chef Anthony Strong from Delfina Restaurant Group, and it's a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for having me. So it's a special year for the pizzeria. It's the 10th anniversary. Congratulations. 10th anniversary. Thank you. So how would you describe Delfina and the restaurants that are affiliated with Delfina Restaurant Group? Oh, man. So Delfina Restaurant Group, um, <laughs> where do I start? Uh, basically, like a lot of restaurants in the Bay Area, we just get our hands on the best stuff that we can. And given that it's Italian food, uh, we put a lot of thought into sourcing and creating dishes that come across as very, um, very simple, straightforward, direct, delicious, craveable, um, you know, lacking, lacking any pretense whatsoever. So I guess if they all have any common thread, it, it's really that. And we... We kind of view the Bay Area as if it's its own little region of Italy. So we kind of like to envision Italian cooking through the refractory of the Bay Area. Oftentimes we go very traditional with the food. Um, You'll see dishes that are like straight out of um, Modena that are exactly uh, the same dish that we had on a trip there a few years ago, you know, but you'll also... You also see us working with avocados and limes, you know, because we have them and why not? And we're a bunch of geeks who like to have fun with food. So, yeah, I guess that's the general um, idea of aesthetic and whatnot. I mean, it's not that hard sometimes to imagine that parts of California are Italy. You can kind of almost squint your eyes and imagine like you're yeah, like you're there because of the Mediterranean climate. Obviously, it's a little colder here in San Francisco, but yeah, yeah. It's similar. Uh, it's amazing how similar it is. You know, uh, tomorrow morning, um, I'll be hitting the uh, Marin Market first thing in the morning, like 7 a.m., and, and you go there, and uh, the wealth of product that we're surrounded by is just astounding I've, I've never seen it outside of you know um different regions of italy and and yeah. even more incredible is the fact that we're surrounded by all these people that from like th- from every bit of the process from seedling to uh execution on a plate to a, a server who's delivering it um table side to a guest who's enjoying it like everybody 
loves food here and has such a great appreciation appreciation for food culture Mm -hmm. um and um a lot of respect for each part of that process so like not only do we have customers that are like total geeks that could (laughs) like talk all day about burrata right um but we have servers who love it and 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 can go on and on about it and are very well informed about it and and the chefs who are in love with that product and then you know uh, uh Yesterday, I was in Bolinas at Star Out Farm, and um, and talking with Annabelle, who's like one of the Annabelle and Warren was there too. Star Out Farm, one of the most like prolific um, organic farms in the country, and they kind of started the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm always just so amazed at how in love with the process they are, mm-hmm. and just how like straight up geeky they are about it, and right. how much they want to talk about it. And, I mean, it's it's a it's a real pleasure to be surrounded with that type of of food culture. Everything from like the people who make the burrata to to the fish guy who shoots us texts at like six in the morning <laughs> about some random sea bass that got <laughs> that got caught by some surfer dude right outside of the Golden Gate Bridge. You know, That's awesome. uh, it's pretty cool. So you get like a direct line to the fishing stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oftentimes, yeah, and like uh, it's just a. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be surrounded by people who care about each step like that. What do you think it is about this area that brings out that passion about every aspect of food and ingredients and the sourcing and all of it? Um, well, I think it's, I think a huge part of it is it, at this point, it's so deeply rooted in the identity of the Bay Area. Food culture is so deeply rooted in, in this area. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you think about when Chez Panisse opened and there was already a food culture that was ready for it in in Berkeley and in the Bay Area at that time. And mm-hmm. like it was, they just kind of took, kept taking that one step further and one step further, you know, even before that, like I was actually surprised the other day I was reading about, uh, about the Black Panthers in Oakland starting the school lunch program. And I was kind of like reading in depth about this, you know, they like one of their, one of the first things that they did as an organization apparently was, was start the free school lunch program, which ended up having a national rollout. That's uh, amazing. I, I mean, didn't know that. absolutely incredible. And so like the idea of food culture as community based is, right. is deeply embedded here. No, I think that makes perfect sense. I, um, our very first interview was with Gwyneth Borden from the Golden Gate Restaurant Association, and mm. she spoke quite a bit about how restaurants are more than just places where you go and eat food. It's very much, they very much power the community and serve as these gathering places. And food in general um, definitely does that. I mean, it kind of binds cultures and families, and um, mm-hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. So what's your favorite part of the whole kind of food process and the process of, of doing what you do and being a chef? So uh, what, when I started out as a cook, it was it was very much in keeping with how many young uh, chefs start out their careers, right? I was like a, a total geeky kid. Um, just wanted to go in the kitchen and play with sharp sticks and fire. And I, I was like drawn in by the, by the, the chaos and the, the intensity of it. And, and also there's a, uh, old school kitchens have kind of a, um, special, let's say way of, um, dealing with people in that they, you know, they, they kind of don't matter in a lot of ways um you know (laughs) it's very structured and brigade like and it's it's brutal work almost almost like almost abusive at points right and 
in the past 15 years that I've been cooking, th- the thing that I've really started to learn is how crucial people are to the process and, and how like the success of a team uh, it makes the entire thing worth it from uh, in, in every way. Um, uh, we're really lucky to have, um, between all six restaurants, a, a really great team of people that, that care about what they do. And um, seriously, the most rewarding part of, of doing all of this is seeing those people succeed and grow and, and develop. We're lucky to have them on board. So, You know, it's interesting. Almost everybody I've talked to so far on Menu Stories has mentioned that their team is one of their favorite parts of their job and helping mm-hmm. their team develop. So it's kind of it's kind of cool to hear that even though your jobs are all about food and cooking the food and preparing the food and your customers and everything else, it's kind of neat that like your own people and your team seem to be the most important thing to a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean you can't you can't do it without them. Yeah. So where where did you grow up? So I grew up uh, kind of between Minnesota and Iowa. Uh when I was a kid, most of the time in Iowa and mm-hmm. um um I grew up like watching cooking shows mm-hmm. and, and my, I was growing up with my, my grandma for a while and um, I would come home from school. She'd make me weed her uh, tomato garden. It, <laughs> it's kind of a, the smell of tomatoes every year just g- makes this like wave of emotion come over me because I remember like the smell, you know, there's this incredible stinging smell that hits the back of your throat, the back of your nose and the back of your throat. Mm-hmm. The smell of tomato vines is like so harsh, so, so hot and summery and kind of brash and, and, and kind of stings a little bit. Mm-hmm. You can smell that on, in a case of tomatoes that are unwashed and, and, and warm from the sun. So like every year I'm like taken right back to, to weeding the tomato garden and then, and then running tomatoes upstairs and making BLTs with grandma and then, and then eating them <laughs> and watching, uh, watching Julia Child and Yen Ken cook. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause those were kind of, there weren't even that many cooking shows back then. There were just a handful. Right. I mean, right. But the ones that were on, they actually cooked which was cool. Right. <laughs> Versus today where it's like tasting other people's food or something. I don't know. Yeah. I don't actually watch that many of them. Me neither. <laughs> um, so this was in Iowa. So, so is that where you were born? Uh, born in Minneapolis. And then you spent most of your childhood, it sounds like, with yep. your grandma in Iowa. Between Iowa and Minneapolis and then uh, high school. Uh, I got my first cooking job. Uh-huh. It was so cool. I was like blown away. I mean, of course I was lured in by one of my friends who had a job as a busboy in the restaurant that I started at. And he's like, you, this is so cool, man. Like there are college girls as servers <laughs> <laughs> and you make like cash tips and they like let you drink a beer once in a while. I was like, this is so cool. Wow. Jackpot, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jack, right. Jack. Right. Yeah. Is this in Minneapolis? Uh, yeah. So first, so it sounds like what got you into it was, you know, the fun the stuff. The action. Right. And then I, then I started, then I started just like really fall in love with it. And then actually started skipping school to like work lunch services. Well, it was so much fun. What kind of restaurant was, was absolutely it? Absolutely so much fun. So the very first place I worked at in, in, in the kitchen was at this small little bistro in Stillwater actually, which is like way outside of the city. It was like a kind of a long commute We're a really great restaurant uh menu changed weekly which was just so weird to me mm-hmm. i didn't understand that whole process at all 
but I just completely fell in love with it. And uh, they had me working brunch services on the weekends, mm-hmm. which uh, brunch is kind of a four-letter word in our industry. Right. And everybody hates it, but I thought it was the coolest thing. <laughs> uh, m- before I graduated high school, I knew how to make hollandaise and could like make a perfect omelet and mm-hmm. make frittatas and waffles and pancakes. And I knew how to run a clean station. And I just like started to absolutely obsess over it. I personally love brunch. I know that's pr- that makes me not a, an official foodie or whatever, <laughs> but I absolutely love brunch. Oh, so me too. I completely me support too, that. Totally. <laughs> so my very first day, oh man, I don't even know if I should talk about this, but my very first day, I'd just been promoted from, from uh, I was a busboy previously and I wanted to get back in the kitchen. They promoted me to prep cook. Mm-hmm. Right? I was so excited. I showed up with a knife just like they told me to. <laughs> and, and the chef was like, okay, you're going to make egg salad. It's like, oh, egg salad. Yeah. Yeah. My mom makes egg salad. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, okay, kid, listen, I don't care if your mom makes egg salad. Just go and get eight <laughs> flats of eggs. Okay. I was like, flats. Uh, what's a flat of eggs? And he shows me these flats of eggs. And I was like, oh my God, those things are huge. I've never seen so many eggs. And what, they're like 30 on each one. That's so, that's like a grocery store quantity of eggs. Right. It's like, okay, you're going to boil them. And uh, here, use this pot over here. He's like, you're going to boil them, uh, set a timer, and then come and get me, okay? Easy enough, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so I bring the pot to my station and I crack the first egg into the pot. Yep. And then uh, <laughs> I keep cracking <laughs> eggs into the pot. And, um, and, uh, one of the line cooks comes over and he's like, Hey man, um, if you're going to hang here, he's like, you're going to have to learn how to crack eggs like this. And he picks up two eggs, one in each hand and just goes like in uh, the flash of an eye, just cracks both of them, ejects them into the pot and then, and then throws the shells into the compost. I was like, that is so cool. And he shows me how to use your hands to crack an egg with one hand. He's like, the trick is man. You got to get faster and better with each egg, okay? I'm like, okay. So all right. mean. So I was like super <laughs> nervous. At the same time. Super <laughs> nervous. I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. So I, by the end of it, by the end of the eight or however many flats of eggs, it seemed like a thousand flats of eggs. I, I think it's growing at this point. It was a thousand flats of eggs, right? right. By the end of the thousand flats of eggs, I could, I could uh, you know, kind of sort of crack eggs with one hand. So I bring the pot over the stove and I turn it on high. I oh, set a no. timer. I don't know what Got I was it. thinking. He said boil eggs. I, I always knew it as a hard-boiled egg. Um, they were bubbling, right. to be certain. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. <laughs> and uh, I thought it was, like, some cool restaurant trick, right? Like, that's – oh, I was going to, like, tell my mom when I got home. Oh, uh, mom, for, for egg salad in restaurants, they don't hard-boil them in water. They just crack them in a pot and, and boil them on the stove. So <laughs> I bring it over to the chef, like, like you know, in the – when the cat shows up with the dead mouse in its, in its <laughs> mouth, like super proud of myself. And he's like, what in the hell is that? <laughs> it must have been like a giant like, weird frittata yeah, or something. Yeah, it, it was pretty gross. It was all crusted yeah. to the bottom. Oh, he God. made me take the, uh, <laughs> take the pot over to the sink, scrub it out, and then oh. taught me how to actually do it. But uh, that was a month ago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure to edit that. Yeah. That is super funny. I mean, at least you learned how to crack the eggs with one hand. Do you yeah. still do you still think of that when you? Do yeah. You still do that all trick? the time. 
all the time. Egg salad has a very special place in my heart because of that. The giant egg frittata aside, what was the first meal that you remember preparing? Was it was it the BLTs with your grandmother? Yeah, yeah, for sure. We made them constantly. It was I grew up for a while in Dubuque, Iowa. And uh-huh. Dubuque was known for the Dubuque Meat Packing Company and well known for their bacon. It was the best bacon ever. Mm-hmm. And my grandma was kind of known in the neighborhood for growing some pretty great tomatoes Uh she had this like she had a backyard with terraces made of railroad ties um with with different levels of tomatoes like spend summer days on my knees weeding the tomato garden and actually started to really like it (laughs) all the kids would be like playing sports and i'd be like hang out in the garden pick some tomatoes (laughs) for a while you know and she like and she always had lettuce from her garden iceberg of course, duh, right? right. And and, uh, <laughs> and and mayo out of the jar, of course. Right. But but she taught me how to toast bread properly and how to how to how to uh, cook the bacon out, save all the fat, slice the tomato. She was very very clear about the thickness of the tomato slice. Mm-hmm. That was the one of the most important parts. So what's um, the secret? Well, it has to be thick. It has to be thin enough so that the the sandwich doesn't fall apart, basically. Mm-hmm. But not so thin that all the gel falls out of the tomato and the juice mm-hmm. um, yes. um, explodes out of it immediately, like as you're transferring it from the cutting board to the sandwich. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So do you bring any of that? I mean, I imagine that has a lot to do with the menu and everything at Delfina and the pizzeria. I mean, tomatoes are obviously a huge part of Italian yeah. food. Yeah. What kind of elements do you bring from what you grew up eating and cooking well okay so uh, the midwest is definitely not known for food but um you know it's it's kind of funny we're talking about blts because i was just um recently telling somebody about a dish that we're about to start running because we're about to start using the first um, tomatoes of the season Mm -hmm. we have a pretty short window of time by Mm -hmm. the way for for fresh tomato usage for our restaurants Mm -hmm. it's usually only like about two and a half months or so because Um, of the area we just yeah we just want to use them when they're when they're perfect and mm-hmm. no less, but we have uh, we have a dish uh, called pan al pomodoro, the tomato toast that's based on a Spanish classic where, basically, you uh, take a piece of stale bread, drench it in olive oil, and then toast it on both sides in a cast iron pan, brush it with a clove of garlic, and then you have tomatoes, and you just smash, crush the contents of the tomatoes into the into the crusty crunchy toast Hmm. and it's hot and you can hear it sizzle and it's a total mess but it's so much fun to do you just like pulverize the tomatoes the fresh tomatoes into into the bread so it's like crunchy crispy chewy and like yet soaking with tomato pulp and tomato juice and like soggy Mm -hmm. at the same time and uh i was just telling somebody about it the other day about how it reminds me of when you get halfway through uh, a blt and the toast is starting to soak up all the tomato juice and you literally can't set the sandwich down and you have to start eating faster right it's like one of the most pleasurable uh eating experiences uh ever so that that dish actually uh kind of takes me back to BLTs too. That's definitely mouthwatering. Um, yeah. Is this at Delfina or at the pizzeria? Uh, we do that at the pizzeria. We serve it as just a piece of toast drenched with tomato pulp and a big scoop of ricotta, a little bit of sea salt and olive oil. Awesome. Um, we do a couple different versions at Delfina as well. Mm-hmm. I might stay later and order that. It's my, um. it's my favorite <laughs> thing, by the way, to do with leftover stale bread and like over-ripened tomatoes. Yeah. So is it is it the tomato fresh or do you grill it first a little bit? Uh, just fresh, just 
cut it okay. and just smash it into the bread. All right. I always I'm teach it whenever <laughs> I do classes with kids uh-huh. uh, in the summertime. I love to do this dish because it's so much fun to just like take a tomato and just squeeze its guts into, into right. toast. <laughs> so you do classes for kids? I try to work with kids as much as possible. What dr- drives that? Recently, because oh, kids are cool. <laughs> and and I, yeah. Um, kids are cool. That's it. And well, and also, uh, I think it's really important for kids to have a context for simple, delicious food in their life. And, and also to understand how simple it is to, to produce pretty basic stuff and to not, not feel intimidated by it. Where, um, where do you do these? Classes? Well, there are a bunch of different programs in the city that I've uh, worked with everything from like five-year-olds to, <laughs> to, to older kids, like out of high school and whatnot. Like the cooking project is one. Uh, that works with um, mostly uh, tenderloin-based youth in high school and slightly out of high school. Gets their hands on some food. Pretty that's, cool. And then awesome. recently we had uh, the Children's Day School, which is here in the Mission, come down to Lokanda. And I think they were third and fourth graders. It was so much fun. There were like <laughs> 45 of them, two oh classes. <laughs> it was an absolute zoo. And we made we made strawberry shortcake. So much fun. Give Give kitchen tours and... You know, it's 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 uh it's pretty cool to see kids' face light up. They actually had a they actually had a restaurant project mm-hmm. in their class where they put a restaurant together and a menu. So cool! They brought copies of their menu for me. <laughs> their pizzas were way cheaper than ours. Right. <laughs> I was like, I was like, have you guys studied your competition in the neighborhood here? Because your margarita pizza is only five dollars. Like, wow! You think that Pizzeria Delfina place is overcharging? <laughs> it's pretty funny. So. When did you start doing that? At, at Delfina, we we always tried to be a big part of the community in, mm-hmm. in any way that we can. This is Rebecca Goberstein, and you're listening to the 10th episode of Menu Stories. We'll be right back with Chef Anthony Strong, who will share how he got started with Delfina. brought you to San Francisco and how did you end up here from the Midwest? Well, cooks want to work in San Francisco. It's just yeah. kind of, it's kind of a thing. It's a, it's a real thing. We, um, I left the Midwest, moved to New York and then cooked for a bit in New York and then just wanted to come out here so bad. Um, where did you, when did you first hear about the culture out here? Oh my God. Immediately. I mean, I, so let's see, I'm totally going to date myself here, but it was like, <laughs> 1998 when I started cooking Uh and and I remember reading about um Jeremiah Tower and stars and and about Chez Panisse and everything going on in the Bay Area Mm -hmm. I was just like obsessed with it I got my first copy of the French Laundry cookbook when I was I think just out of high school I've been through like three copies since that's awesome (laughs) I'm sure you've met the French Laundry team yeah I've been there a bunch of times yeah got to spend a couple days in the kitchen there actually what was a couple few years ago oh that's awesome what what was it like when you first met them were you kind of starstruck oh yeah oh my god totally (laughs) it's like oh here are your heroes but you know I mean uh, same thing when I met Craig for the first time just like wow like this guy's like not only a really influential incredible chef but he's kind of just a geek like me right you know like I, it's it's so cool chefs um, they're just like us 
Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. <laughs> you basically, so you went from the Midwest to New York and the cooking scene. I mean, to me, New York seems like a very iconic restaurant. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, totally. Destination. And from there, you came out here. And did you come here for Delfina or were you kind of like... No. You know, I came out here 10 years ago. I had a bunch of trails lined up. You know, you go and spend a day or two in a kitchen to check the place out. They check mm-hmm. you out, see if you get the job and whatnot. Um, mostly in fine dining restaurants. And I checked a bunch of places out, wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. And then a few of the kitchens that I was in, the cooks were talking about Delfina and they had like talked about spaghetti and chicken and it was kind of starting to make me hungry. And I, I hadn't, I hadn't touched Italian food before. Um, oh wow. I, Even in New York. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, I mean, yeah, like in New York, I worked at La Bernadette and in most of the kitchens that I've been in, you know, Italian food was, yeah, it was kind of this, this like rusticity that didn't have a place in high end restaurants. Right. So, so, so I had never played with pizza or pasta or anything like that. And I, I was hearing about this place that was making spaghetti and, and chicken and frying sardines and stuff. And I was like, wow, it sounds like I should go eat there. And I like <laughs> went to Delfina, spent like my last 50 bucks on dinner. That's your last $50 I, that you had. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Wow. Yeah, it was it was pretty brutal. Um, <laughs> even <laughs> the back life then. Of a passionate yeah, thing. yeah. So, yeah, moved out to San Francisco with nothing. But but it, the amazing thing is I remember eating um uh fresh local anchovies for the first time and just being absolutely enamored by them. And then also I had um sand dabs and I'd never oh, wow. had a sand dab before. Yeah. I was I just blown away by these by these two products and just by how fun the place was and i forget what pasta i had but i'm sure it was delicious and i was like oh man i should see if they're hiring here and i went into the delfina kitchen and just um the products blew me away like and the, the culture of ingredients yeah or, uh-huh. yeah and the culture of the food blew me away like i like uh, every every day before service, we put up um, dishes for for lineup. Like the menu changes so often, we always put up one or two of each dish, kind of troubleshoot it, work through it, taste it together, eat it together, talk about it. You know, mm-hmm. and it's also so that um, all the wait staff can see the dish as well. But but the cooks get in on it too, and we eat these dishes together. And I was so blown away by that process. I was like, wow, these guys care so much about their food that they literally like made one of each plate. And they're talking it, to eating it, and talking about it, and then adjusting sauces and garnishes as necessary. Like so that is so cool. Day of, so cool. Or each day of yeah. yeah. Wow. And then, and then, and then they're gonna change the menu again tomorrow. Like right. that. That whole process was really intriguing to me. So that sounds like just the way you're talking about it. it. Sounds like that's pretty unique compared to most restaurants and how they operate. You know, it's it's unique. I think it's something that I mean, Delphine is a, a big part of the restaurant scene in here in the Bay Area. I think it's something that's unique to the Bay Area. People just approach food that way. Kind of perfectionist and critique each dish. Yeah. And, and always, always adjusting accordingly. Yeah. So did you start at, um, at the original Delfina? Uh-huh. Yep. I worked at a line at Delfina for um, like the first uh, five, six weeks. Worked through all the stations and then um, the pizzeria had, had just opened. They needed help next door and I just fell in love with it. <laughs> Stood in the same spot, basically, on the pizza station, running that thing for, for like, the first uh, three, four years. And so how did you transition over to the pizzeria? Uh, it was kind of like, uh, hey, Craig, you need <laughs> help at the pizzeria? 
I'd really love to learn how to make pizza. Uh, yeah, I need somebody to run it. You want to run it? Yeah, cool. Okay, here are a bunch of Italian books to read. <laughs> <laughs> Go home, do your homework. I'll see you in the morning. Wow. And then kind of uh, went from there. I mean, that's pretty uh, brave of him too, of Chris to sort of give you that flexibility and that freedom. Pretty cool. They took a chance on a little punk rocker kid. <laughs> <laughs> what drew you to the pizzeria? Why did you want to do that? You know, I guess what drew me to the pizzeria is kind of the same reason that I've always been in love with all the places is that they're approachable on so many different levels. You know, you can look out and see people in suits having, you know, a quick business lunch Mm -hmm. and they're sitting right next to a family with with two strollers Mm -hmm. and kids crushing breadsticks and throwing them which we (laughs) love by the way and (laughs) like coloring on coloring sheets and I mean it's so much fun and they might be sitting next to a couple that are like serious foodie nerds you know who are who are geeking out on date night and and at the same time I love that people are able to sit um, solo at the bar and like read a magazine or a book and just grab dinner and like yeah. be able to rely on it. Um, so yeah, I think even more than just the cooking itself, what, what I love is how just kind of universal it is. Everybody has a context for Italian food in their, in their life. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants a neighborhood spot to go to without, you know, something that comes across as just humble, straightforward why did craig and annie stole the the proprietors owners Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of the delfina group why do you think they opened up a separate restaurant or annex to the original delfina that was just focused on pizza well so delfina now going on its 16th uh, 17th anniversary in the fall you know they they opened it as a tiny i think it only had like 40 seats it was half the size that it is now yeah Um, they expanded into the space next door and Craig and Annie always had pizzeria in the back of their heads because it's fun. And there was no, there was not really much going on in the way of pizza in the Bay Area at that time. So pizza seems really simple. Uh-huh. Can you share why it isn't? <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. It's so, so why is it so one special? Thing, it just, it's, yeah. it's hard to make it taste like real, I guess, Italian pizza. Right. Well, one thing that, um, one thing that I love about Italian cooking in general is how there's all this background, history, technique, knowledge that is applied on completely on the back end, and it shows up on your plate, and it's something that is just like so simple looking, mm-hmm. you know, not necessarily simplistic though, but but delivers as like simple and satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, pizza is a very good. Um, expression of that because dough is this living growing thing that needs lots of attention mm-hmm. and um and it it not even doesn't take so much experience but like muscle memory and hand memory and knowing how to work with it right, right. um and it even even as temperate of a climate as we're in it's always slightly a, a volatile thing but you know the uh uh, the chefs who who run the pizzerias on the day to day they're they're so focused on this like basic simple little ten ounce <laughs> mixture of water flour yeast and uh-huh. salt that like is so simple but yet needs so much attention and so much love um, in order to make the place thrive yeah why do you think the pizzeria 
stands out with the pizza that it delivers in here. Well, so not delivers <clears throat> literally, but you know what I mean. Uh, oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> well, now we have delivery services like Postmates. It's great. Caviar. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> there was my plug. Uh, <laughs> so, well, you know, traditionally pizza is made out of out of uh, wood fired ovens, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we use gas brick ovens. So, for us, the the challenge and the motivation has always been to make pizza that is better than wood burning oven pizza and unique as a product to what we what we do Mm -hmm. um can still deliver as as authentic but can also be for instance a great takeout product our 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 pizza is amazing to go it holds up really well Mm -hmm. um well how long were you at the pizzeria before um you moved over to la conda right after that right so yeah um let's see we opened our second pizzeria five years ago in Pacific Heights, ran both the pizzerias for a while, was still involved in Delfina, and then we found a space in another space in the Mission, Valencia Street, and we talked a lot about Rome um, mm-hmm. and love Roman food, Roman cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of like, <laughs> I think the conversation was about like 20 seconds that, that <laughs> to decide what type of restaurant it was going to be. It was like, Oh, yeah, we got the space. Oh, what should it be? Roman. Yeah, yeah. Yep, let's go Roman. Absolutely. Let's do it. What distinguishes um, Roman food from the kind of style of food that was at Delfina? It's a little bit more specific mm-hmm. than Delfina's kind of pan-regional Italian. If anything, um, the focus is more on the northern regions mm-hmm. of, of Italy, Piemonte, Tuscany, and whatnot. The, the food and cooking of Rome is very heavily, heavily characterized by... Um, like lots of black pepper, tons of pe- pecorino, lots of guanciale, lots of mint, and and all these things that are just kind of like very very embedded in their food culture. Mm-hmm. Jewish style artichokes, lots mm-hmm. of traditional d- dishes like uh, tripala romana, the trifecta of, of the three most classical pastas in the Roman repertoire: cacio e pepe, amatriciana, carbonara. You see these dishes all over Rome, and they're very much loved. So it was really fun for us to um, to open a Roman restaurant, kind of like dig into that style and use it as uh, as a context for the rest of the cooking that we'd be doing there. We found a wood burning grill that we were in love with, and just decided to make all of the uh, Sigondi and, and uh, entrees kind of focus on that as a centerpiece. Yeah. Now that you are executive chef of Delfina Group in general, how how do you balance your time across all the different properties? Um, good question. i kind of bounce around to all of them i i I try to spend time everywhere where i'm needed Uh, luckily i've been embedded in all the kitchens long enough and i love each of them so much for their own special reasons that that i can kind of hopefully uh see what each of them need on a on a day-to-day and like i said we, we have amazing teams so i mean we have great chefs at each one of the spots and they always let me know exactly exactly what they need from me my job is basically to uh to support them and to uh lead each one of the restaurants to being successful in its own individual way so what's the most challenging thing about your job these days uh trying to figure out where to be (laughs) at any different moment (laughs) I usually hit like either two or three of the restaurants every day for wow. for different things. Um, it's a lot of fun. Every every day is completely different, and I get to go into the restaurants and see everybody from like a, a young new hire cook on the line mm-hmm. who's just excited and kind of scared and nervous mm-hmm. to be there, to um, you know somebody 
like one of our sous chefs, Gaspar on California Street, he, he opened that restaurant with us as a as a janitor five years ago, worked up through the ranks, and now he's this incredible sous chef running a great team and a dynamic, great feeling, busy, bustling restaurant. And uh, that's that's really incredible to see. Looking at where you've come and you've you've grown pretty fast over the last <laughs> 10 years since you came to San Francisco, what's the most rewarding thing to you about, about everything that's happened over the last 10 years? In a very personal way as a chef who's trying to develop, I've had two of the best mentors in the world, Annie and Craig, really close with me. They've been able to guide me through all of the all the phases that a chef typically goes through <laughs> in their in their growth and maturity and and guide me into being successful. It's 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 great. I kind of asked for more. That's great. What does your family think of what you're doing now? <laughs> it was at, at first they at, at first they were kind of at first they were kind of apprehensive about it, I think. Like we don't really I mean we haven't really had a restaurant or food culture in, in my family mm-hmm. back home. They love it now. I'm super happy doing what I do. That's you know, whatever every family wants for their kid, right? Right. And it, <laughs> when my dad comes to visit, he like he goes into the he's so excited to come to the restaurants and just, just walks right up to the bread station and asks for his bread, um, <laughs> and uh, and he'll he'll <laughs> go on and on with all the servers and ask him ask him to show him how to use a POS system and, and type in orders and I mean oh it's my all, gosh, yeah that's so funny it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> well, thank you so much for chatting. Absolutely, um, thank you so much. So congratulations again to Chef Anthony Strong, Chef Craig Stoll, and Annie Stoll on celebrating 10 years of Pizzeria Delfina, and thank you for being part of our 10th episode. In the next episode of Menu Stories, we'll meet a young chef making waves in San Francisco at Huxley Restaurant in the Tenderloin, Sarah Hellman. Huxley opened less than a year ago, but Chef Sarah has already been recognized by Eater and the San Francisco Chronicle as a standout. So don't miss it and subscribe to Menu Stories on menustories.com and get the next episode delivered to your inbox. You can listen on our website, menustories.com, iTunes, and SoundCloud. And be sure to find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, happy eating. 